title of my sermon this morning is The Gospel Breaks Down Barriers. The Gospel Breaks Down Barriers. When I went to middle school in the sixth grade, um, <clears throat> when I went to middle school in the sixth grade, Durham County redrew the district lines across the whole county. I was supposed to go to this one middle school that was like two and a half miles from my house. I mean, I could walk there if I had to. They redrew the lines, and when they redrew the lines, they sent me to a middle school eight miles and some change away. It was four times further away, okay? And when they sent me there, I encountered a wildly different racial makeup than what I had seen in my elementary school. My elementary school is almost entirely white. When I got to my middle school and they redrew the lines and they sent me across town to a different middle school than I thought I was going to, my middle school that I went to was 90% black, African-American, 7% white, and then 3% other, okay? So out of every 10 kids, less than one of us by the numbers would have, been, uh, would have looked like me, okay? When I joined the wrestling team in seventh grade, our wrestling team was about 50-50. We had about half of us were black guys, half of us were white guys. And at first I thought, well, this is, this is kind of outside of my box. This is different. I mean, I didn't have any issue with it, but I thought this is kind of different. By the end of that season, that was single-handedly my favorite team that I was ever a part of in any sport that I ever played. And I played organized sports from the time I was fifth, uh, five years old all the way until I graduated high school. No sport, uh, no team was any more my favorite than that one. And here's the thing that happens. When you're wrestling with people, I said this at Rose Hill on Tuesday, when you're wrestling with people and you're sweating on each other and you're putting each other in headlocks and some of you hadn't bathed uh, all week long, you know, you really get to know each other well. When you're at a match and you're wrestling, to get, or you're wrestling against your opponent and your team is cheering for you and you're cheering for them and you're all in behind each other, man, you really gel as a group. Those guys, if I were to see them in Durham, man, they'd run up and they'd grab me and hug me and I'd hug them. How you doing, man? How's your family? How's your kids? It was hands down my favorite team I ever was a part of. And, and, and here's what I learned. That team taught me this lesson, that the barrier that I thought existed, that I could see with my eyes, that external barrier of skin color, because the melanin in our skin was a little bit different, that external barrier was a cultural lie from the pit of hell. It was a barrier. It was a dividing wall that Satan wanted people to build up. And guess what? Are we still having some issues with race relations in our country? You bet we are. All over the place, we're having issues with race relations. It's a barrier. It's a dividing wall. I'm not here to talk about that this morning. That's just one way to apply it. What I want to show you in the scriptures this morning is that the devil wants to build up dividing walls in your heart, in your thinking, and in your life. The devil wants to, I'm going to say this later, but I'm going to say it again. The devil will help you build up walls. If you will pick up the trowel and you will pick up the mortar, he will hand you brick after brick snickering behind your back the whole time. Here's another brick. Here's another brick. Here's another brick. Build up those dividing walls. Find the differences. Make uh, distinctions and extinctions. Uh, But the devil will help you do that as long as you want to continue building up walls. But you know what the gospel does? The gospel breaks down barriers. The gospel breaks down barriers. Now, are all barriers bad things? Everybody shake your head. I know we're savings time's weird. Okay, just shake your head. Just do like that. Okay. 
Not all barriers are bad things. The medicine in my house, I'm glad that they put a little cap on there that doesn't open easily when my three-year-old picks it up. We keep it out of her, her reach, okay? But if she were to climb up on a, on a you know, a, a counter, whatever you call it, a counter, and to get that bottle and try to open it, if it didn't have that barrier of that child-proof cap, then something awful might happen, right? Some of you still can't figure out your way to get past the child-proof cap, right, Chip? So, somebody amen that. All right. Good. But I want you guys to see this morning that some of the worst barriers that our world has ever encountered, our world has ever encountered, they are not physical, they are not external, they are attitudes. They are predispositions. They are attitudes of prejudice and hate that come from the enemy of your soul, the devil. But you know where they exist and they grow and sometimes we nurture them? In our hearts. And he will sit there and, and as, you, as you nurture and as you, you put water and you put seed and you put miracle grow of hate on those distinctions in your heart, you know what the devil does? Man, he just sits back and laughs the whole time. Look at these walls going up. Look at the gospel not being effective in their life. Look at what's happening in that church. Look at what's happening in that home. Look at what's happening in that classroom. And the devil wants to tear down and destroy what God is wanting to do in your life. The gospel breaks down barriers. Before we dive into our text this morning, I heard a sermon on John chapter 4 about Jesus and the woman at the well. I was listening to another guy, okay? And this is why you don't need to check out sometimes when you're listening to someone. I was listening. I thought it was going to be a guy named Herschel York. It was some guy on his staff, okay? The initial thought is, ah, man, bummer. I don't get to hear Herschel York. So I'm going to find another podcast to listen to. But something kept me listening. That sermon was better than anything I had heard Herschel York preach to this point. And Herschel York teaches preaching at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It was phenomenal. His sermon on John 4 had two central points. Number one was this, Jesus and the woman at the well. Number one was this, Jesus went looking and goes looking for the ones that nobody else wants to find. Jesus goes after the people that nobody else wants to find. Number two was this. Jesus went looking for the ones that didn't want to be found. Jesus went looking for the ones that didn't want to be found. In Acts chapter 10, God sends Peter after a Gentile man, somebody outside the Jewish people. His name was Cornelius, okay? He lived in a thoroughly Gentile city. We talked about that last week. He was thoroughly Gentile in his identity and his culture. He was a Roman soldier who was oftentimes very abusive towards the Jews, a man that no good Jew wanted to be friends with, okay? Would, would block them on Facebook if he could. And he did it to teach Peter a powerful lesson. You know what it is? That no one, no one is too far from the kingdom of God. No one. There is no one that we should look at and say, the gospel is just not for them. The gospel is not for them. They wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't receive it. They probably have some other worldview, some religious perspective that says, ah, that's not for me. We cannot say that. That is not our determination to make. So I want to start this morning. Usually I save the tough questions for the end, okay? But I don't want your stomach out growling what I'm going to say. Let me lay out a tough question at the start for you this morning. And maybe you need to write this down. And don't judge somebody if they are writing it down. Maybe they're just... Digging in a little harder than you. I don't know. Who is the person or persons in your life, 
If you're honest, you would say there's just no hope for that person to come to Christ. Son, daughter, neighbor, co-worker. There's no hope for that person to come to Christ. He's too far from God. The gospel's not for her. Who have you put in a category? You've put them in a category, in a box, that Jesus has not put them in that category. He doesn't do that. If we're honest, this is what that sermon said. This is not my quote. If we're honest, there's lost people out there that we're not even looking for. Let that settle on you. I went back and replayed that four times. If we're honest, there are lost people that we're not even looking for. Remember last year's Easter egg? I'm not making light of this. Remember that? And you found it when you ran over it with the mower and you quit looking? That's us. Sometimes we stop looking for lost people. We stop being about the great commission of reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're all in your schools, students. They're on your teams. They're in your dance class. They're everywhere. And you know what? We get so busy with our routine. And sometimes, let let me just say this to be real honest with you. Sometimes we get so busy with our church activities. And we're here on Sunday and Sunday night and Monday doing something. And then we show up again on Wednesday at lunchtime. And then Thursday, this isn't in my notes. And then Friday and Saturday and we come back on Sunday. And we're here 17 and a half times that we don't have enough time because we're not making enough time to be around lost people. Amen. That's something that God's dealt with me over. Am I, am I so busy in my office and am I so busy in the hospital room and am I so busy with someone in a counseling setting that, that I'm not managing my week in such a way that I'm saving time to be in the community around lost people? Am I looking for them intentionally? They're there. Had a phenomenal conversation with a guy that works at Walmart. Lives right down here on 70 actually. He had a haircut from the 90s. It was awesome. And I said, man, I haven't seen anybody with a haircut like that since middle school. And he kind of rubbed his hair. Thanks. Vintage, huh? And I said, yeah, I guess it is. And we just started talking. And before you know it, he's helping me look for some oil, for some wicks in my oil lamp. And he said, what are you looking for an oil lamp for? I thought, open door to talk about Jesus, right? Just went to Israel. And so I start telling him about my trip to the Holy Land. We have opportunities to turn a conversation about Jesus. Please don't avoid that. Please don't be afraid of that. Please pray for open doors and opportunities to take something and just steer it towards Jesus Christ. Not awkwardly. Like if you die today, where are you going to spend eternity? Okay? That's going to turn some people off. That question might fit in the right place. But love people. Talk to people. Open up with them. Dialogue with them. Have a conversation. Back to the notes. If we hold the idea in our hearts and minds, even secretly or inwardly, that there's people that the gospel is not for, listen, it doesn't expose anything wrong with them. It exposes something flawed inside us. That we think that the power of the gospel and the mission of Jesus and the mission of his church is not to reach them. Listen, the devil wants to keep you thinking that way, building up walls, making distinctions based off of the external. But you know what? The gospel is an equal opportunity invitation. To everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be what? Saved. Everyone. 
So let's look at Acts 17, Acts 10, 17 through 33. And we're going to cover a little bit of what we covered last week, but hopefully it'll be helpful. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. They did not come in, and they called out. They did not cross the threshold because they were Gentiles, to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, look, pay attention. Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and listen to this. Accompany them without hesitation, without making distinctions, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright... And God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. We're going to talk about that. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting him and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection I asked then why you sent for me. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And so, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So in 17, I know we're backtracking just a tad, but we pick up with Peter still on the rooftop. And he is completely perplexed, at a loss, totally confused about this strange vision. If you missed it last week and didn't read it, a big sheet descended in his vision all right, out of heaven, and it was a, a pile of unclean animals. Okay, These were animals that would have been repulsive to any good Jew. And he hears this voice that says to him, get up, kill the unclean animals, and eat them. Okay, So a strict Jew who wanted to follow the Old Testament ceremonial laws would have you know, nearly vomited at the thought. All right, We've got to understand that. We've got to understand how grossly repulsive this was to, to Peter. Um, we have uh, folks running around all over this county, uh, Jed Clampets, if you will, that will shoot anything that gets in front of their rifle and eat it. Amen? We do. Okay? But Peter was not going to just eat whatever he ran over that day in the road. Okay? But at the same time, he's, he's pondering this thing, and Cornelius' men show up outside the house of Simon and Tanner, and they call out. They won't even cross the threshold because they knew the, the Jews had a religious view about being in the house together with other people who were not of the Jewish nation. But what does Peter do? He welcomes them in. Have you, have you ever gone to somebody's house and you knock on the door and you stand there and you have conversation at the doorway and you think, 
they're clearly not inviting me in, you know, for some reason. Maybe their house isn't clean. Maybe, I, I don't know. You know, but, but Peter invites them in and gives them hospitality for the evening. This was unheard of in the first century. You say, well, what do you mean? To give you a little context, the strictest of Jews back then went even as far as to say if there was a Gentile woman who was in childbirth, she should not be given any help during her labor because it would only bring another Gentile into the world. That's how deeply uh, opposed, you know, um, how much animosity there was between them and the Gentiles. But you know the grossly ironic and subtle thing about this? The subtle reality is their attitude towards the Gentiles really wasn't far off Pharaoh's attitude toward them. Their disdain and their contempt for looking down on someone was ultimately the same sin, the same smugness and pride in Pharaoh's heart that caused him to look down on the Jews and imprison them and enslave them. So no, they could not rule over the Gentiles in power, but they looked down on them and they said, we're God's chosen people. We're his favorite people. And you are outside the mercy of God. Now, Peter wasn't that far in that direction. We see that in this text. But you know something? God still had some knots to untie in Peter's heart. And some of us this morning have some hardened places through lies that we've heard, things we've come to believe, cultural things that float around us that we just sort of inherit, things that you heard growing up. And the Lord wants to untie those maybe today. He wants to set you free from some bitterness that you have towards someone else in a wall that's being built up. Verse 23, Peter heads out with Cornelius' men the next day and they set off to Caesarea. Now, there's nothing explicitly that says this in the text, but William Barclay makes a phenomenal point here about Cornelius. He says, you have to wonder if when they were approaching the house, if Cornelius wondered to himself, Will they even come inside my home? Will they? I know he's a good Jew. I know what he thinks about me as a Gentile. Will they even cross the threshold of my home to be in my company? But I love the way that God works. God works in little nudges, doesn't he? Sometimes God explodes the dynamite in our world and just blows everything up and we have this wow moment. But a lot of times you know what God does? Just little bits at a time. Okay, I referenced E.T., so i got to bring that back just a little bit. E.T., the movie from, I think, 1983 or something like that. Do you remember how Elliot got E.T. to follow him? What did he put down on the, on the ground? Reese's Pieces, okay? That's a lot more current than Hansel and Gretel, if nobody knows who Hansel and Gretel is. Breadcrumb trail, okay? God works that way. God is never in a hurry. Listen, his mission is urgent, but he has no timetable that he's locked into. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how we're going to respond because he gives us free will, but it works into his sovereign, perfect purpose. And he nudges us along in the journey toward Christ-likeness a little bit at a time. Look at the way he does this with Peter. This is awesome. Listen to this. Don't miss it. Five quick ways. Peter is staying with who in Joppa? A tanner. Tanners were permanently unclean. Tanners could not go to worship. They had to live outside the city. They could not be around faithful Jews. And who is Peter staying with? A tanner. God is tearing that barrier down. Second, that tanner lived in what city? Joppa. 
Does anybody remember what happened in Joppa in the Old Testament? Does anybody remember the reluctant prophet that was in Joppa? And he ran away. And Peter's right here in Joppa. And Peter has a chance to do what? Run with God. That's not an accident. All this is happening. God's nudging him closer where he wants him to be. Third, Peter takes the Gentiles in and gives them hospitality. Fourth, Peter goes to a Gentile city at God's leading. Fifth, Peter willingly enters a Roman soldier's home. Little bits at a time. The Reesey Peasey Trail. I know it's pieces, but pieces in the South. Reesey Peasey Trail. He's just leading him closer to where he wants him to be. You see what he's doing? He's about to do the unthinkable in his life. Right in front of this conservatively minded Jew. Right under his nose. The leader of this church. Still very Jewish in his heritage. Very Jewish in his identity. He's about to pour out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. The people outside of his people. This is a huge moment in the grand narrative of God's redemptive purpose. Listen how big this is. Who did God start with? Abram. Remember? He calls Abram out. Genesis chapter 11. He calls Abram out. He made him into a nation that would become the Jews. That nation was supposed to be a light in the darkness among the nations. But did they pass or fail? Did they pass or fail, church? They failed. Miserably. And they turned away many, many different times. What did he do, though? Did he quit on his mission? Or did he bring another man out of that nation? Jesus from Abraham's line, and he came to rightly show God's light to his people, but later also to the Gentiles of the world, to the nations. All of that is happening right here in front of us in chapter 10. You know what that means? It means a lot of things, but here's one thing it means. God is patient. God is purposeful. God is intentional. God God does not do his sovereign purpose like I play chess. You know how I play chess? One willy-nilly move at a time. I love chess, but I'm terrible at chess. You know why I'm terrible? Because I just move whatever I see in front of me. If it gets my guys all taken in five moves, then too bad, I'm done. God is not moving the pieces of history, your life and mine, around the world at a random accident. He is in control of every little incident that goes on so that we are accomplishing his purposes. Let me ask you a question. When you look back at the last year of your life, do you see God? Can you feel him nudging you closer? Not shoving you, just gently, lovingly nudging you to where he wants you to be. Let me ask you another question. Are you cooperating? Are you cooperating with him? Are you fighting against him? Are you stepping out into what he has for you, even if it's different? And what you've always known, this is Peter. This is Peter. Peter would have made a good Southern Baptist, wouldn't he? He would have. Oh, God, that's different. I've never done anything like that before in my life, and I'm just not going to do it. Right? I'm poking fun at all of us a little bit. We can laugh at ourselves. That's a good thing. Okay? But that's Peter. Nope, nope, not going to do it, God. Never done it like that before. Not doing it again. Nope. Maybe you're in a Joppa place in your life. Maybe you're in a Joppa And God's calling you to step into a ministry opportunity or start sharing your story, your testimony. 
or lead a ministry here or get involved with the school or volunteer with the tribe. Maybe you're in a Joppa place in your life. And the question in front of you this morning is this. Am I going to run from God like Jonah and get swallowed by a fish? Or am I going to go with God like Peter? Here's the amazing thing. Verse 28. Peter says, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God, but God has shown me I must not call any person impure or unclean. If you have the living Bible, it's a paraphrase. It's not a word-for-word translation, but it's good to help us understand the purpose. If you have the living Bible, here's what it says. But God has shown me in a vision that I should never think of anyone as inferior. I shouldn't look down on anybody. Paul says later, we regard no one according to what? The flesh. Don't you love those two words? But God. Peter says, you know I'm not supposed to hang out with you. But God changed all that. Those two words capture the heart of the message of the Bible. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And they ran from God. And did God just say, sayonara? (laughs) No, but God went after them. And he killed an animal and took the skin from that animal and covered their guilt and their shame and their sin. And he brought them back. He said, where are you? He wasn't on his GPS going, Adam and Eve. He wasn't confused about where they are. He wanted to know, in our relationship, where have you gone? He knew what bush they were behind. He knew what leaves they were going to pluck off and make for a fig tree covering, fig leaf covering. He went after them. The Israelites were withering away for 400 years in slavery, but God rescued them through Moses. Israel was supposed to show the goodness and glory of God to the nations around them, and they failed, but God sent his son into the world to light up the darkness, reach the nations. Saul was seeking to destroy the church in his religious zeal, but God changed him. And he rescued him out of his dead religion. And he brought him into a living relationship with the Son of God. But God. Do you know where you would be without those words? But God? Hopeless. Stuck in your sin. What if Jesus had stayed in the grave? But God raised him. Those two words capture the heart of scripture we were lost we were hopeless we had no clue and no way to get to where we needed to be but God see Peter was blinded by his prejudice walled in by his sinful superior attitude towards other people but God showed him the gospels for all people the gospels for all people I said this earlier you know what the devil wants to keep doing handing you brick after brick Encouraging you to pick up that trowel, pick up that mortar, keep on building that wall, whatever that wall is. It might be your sin between you and God and you think, I can't come to God because I'm just too sinful. And he says, keep on building that wall of guilt. You might have a relationship with a person that is estranged and difficult and has grown cold. And he keeps handing you brick after brick. Why don't you stay bitter? Why don't you rehearse that grudge? Why don't you nurse that grudge? Here's another brick. You might have a relationship with a spouse or or a son or a daughter. Or you might have somebody in this community that you just... Man, every time you see them at the store, they're on aisle 6, you go down aisle 12. 
You know what God did for the Gentiles? He brought revival. He brought revival. Not in a, not, 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 not in a way that we might think about, but, but just in people's lives. Can you imagine how this must have wrecked and transformed Peter personally, but also the church at large? We were all outside of the mercy of God until Christ came to us and lived a de- life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died, and he traded places with us. He was hung on a tree and unrighteously murdered outside the city. You know why? So that you and I could be brought in to a city that will never fade or perish and is eternal waiting for us. There is no wall that the gospel of Jesus can't tear down in your life. If he's already torn down the wall of sin that separates you and him, what else is there that cannot be torn down by the power of the gospel? In a tale of two cities, Sidney Carton and Charles Darnay both love the same woman, but she marries Charles. And by the end of the book, Charles is arrested. They put him in a dungeon. He's set to be executed in 24 hours. He's got a wife and got a child. And Sidney, who looks enough like Charles, decides to sneak into the prison, knock out Charles, have Charles's friends take him to safety. And he puts his clothes on and he stays there to die in his place. Later, we're introduced to a homeless seamstress. She was also a prisoner. She was on her way to face her death at the guillotine. And she comes up to the man that she thinks is Charles and she begins to speak to him. She asks him to comfort her until she realizes that it's not Charles. And her eyes get really big. And she whispers to Sydney, she says, are you dying for him? And he hushes her. Shh. And he says, and for her wife and child. And then she begs him again. Oh, will you let me hold your brave hand, stranger? Comfort me even now. The mere idea of his substitutionary sacrifice strengthened her against the chill of her own impending death. She was transformed by that sacrifice. Let me ask you this question. How would you be transformed if you came to believe that Jesus Christ really did this for you personally? That he took your place. That he went into the prison where you were held captive and he set you free and he didn't knock you out to do it. But he willingly went in there and everybody knew that he went in there. He did it for you. And he went to the cross and he took your sin so that he could exchange that with us. Jesus, Scripture says to us that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners and enemies of God. If God did the very most for the ones who loved Him the least, He did this for us, His enemies. How can we build up dividing walls that He has torn down? How can we live behind those? How can we hate people? How can we distance ourselves from people? How can we stay angry? How can we nurse grudges? If we've come to understand the forgiving, freeing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we may struggle with it from time to time, but we can't live there. So here's how we're going to close this morning. If that dividing wall of sin still exists between you and God, because you've never surrendered surrendered, laid down your sin and came to Jesus and said, you win, your Savior, your Lord. Here's what I want to ask you to do, to do that today. 
If you've never laid it down and walked away from that sin and came back to the cross and said, forgive me and make me your son, make me your daughter, I want to ask you to lay your sin down today and to come to Jesus. He promises that he will forgive and he will cleanse. And there may not be a light show in here that goes off, but inwardly you will be set free and eternally you will have a home in heaven. Second, If you're a believer this morning and you're building a wall of division, you're building a wall of unforgiveness, you're building a wall of contempt, you're building a wall of anger towards someone else in your life, here's what I want to ask you to do today. Stop cooperating with Satan. Lay down the trowel, kick over the mortar bucket, and tell him, I don't want any more bricks. And if you need to this morning, if you need to this morning, why don't you just come down here And just kneel down. There's nothing sacred about this carpet right here as compared to where you're sitting. But sometimes it's helpful to have a moment of consecration and concentration where we come down here and we kneel and we say, you know what? I'm laying down my trowel. And I'm kicking over the mortar bucket. And I'm not putting any more bricks up anymore because of what Jesus has done for me. He's torn down that barrier that existed between me and the Father. And I can't do that to anybody else. Ask him to take the wrecking ball of grace to the wall that you've built up. He will. He will. Let him transform you today. Let's pray.